You are listening to Ideas and Leaders podcast. I'm Elena Paventa, Executive Communication Coach and TEDx Organizer. With each episode, I'll share with you communication tips and ideas from top business leaders to help you excel in your career. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest at Ideas and Leaders podcast is Eric Edmitz. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's an international speaker, and he's an author of Wild Fit. This is the health transformation program. I've been through it myself earlier this year, and it was amazing. I had some amazing results. So today we're going to speak about health in the workplace. And I know that a lot of our listeners are struggling with combining health and business. So this is what we're going to speak about. Hi, Eric. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So Eric, do you think it is possible to actually maintain good health and being super active in business at the same time? I don't think it's possible to do it the other way for very long or more to the point, it's possible, but the cost of it is really high. So if somebody thinks that they can go into this, like, I'm going to work really, really hard and yeah, I'm going to sacrifice my health right now. I'm going to eat convenient. I'm not really going to, you know, exercise. Yeah. They can create phenomenal results and then they can leave their money to their children because they'll be dead. I'm being a bit harsh about it, but I believe that if you want to achieve phenomenal results in business and you want to live long enough to enjoy them, then you don't have a choice. You have to work on your health relative to your career as well. Yeah, so I know that many people in business, they are working very long hours. Uh, they, you know, they don't have time to eat, to sleep, you know, anything that is connected with being in good health, actually. Mm. So how to find this right balance between actually doing everything that we have to do? We know basically since childhood what we have to do, that we need to have a good sleep, that we need to move. But, you know, sometimes we just don't have time. And even before recording now, you said that the day is moving so fast and we have so many meetings. And sometimes we find ourselves that it is already evening and we still, for example, did not do the workout or did not, I don't know, eat healthy snacks or something like this. So how to balance? There's a, there's a clue in the question. You're saying, how do we find a balance between these things? It's not a balance. It's an order of priority. So imagine that you're going to go on a very long drive. There are some things that your car needs before you go on that long drive. You can't balance that. Well, I'll balance the long drive with getting enough gas, with getting the oil changed. Like if you try to find a balance, you decide, well, you know what? Today I can just drive for hours and hours and hours and I don't think about those things, then the car will stop. Your body is the same way. So it's not a matter of balance. It's a matter of priority. Your body has needs, your mind has needs. And if you do not meet those needs, yep, you can run hard, but eventually you'll run empty. So. For example, you and I connected just before the interview here and I, and I was a little late, two minutes, I think. But as I said, my day's moving very quickly. But you know what I didn't sacrifice? The first thing I did this morning is I went to the gym. And I did that even though I know I have an incredibly crazy day and I've got tons of demands on me right now. I've got one of our kids is in the hospital. Like it's like there's stuff to deal with, right? But I know that if I sacrifice my health with my food, my breathing, my exercise, then it is actually harder to deal with all those things. And so in my opinion, it's not a matter of balance. It's a matter of priority. It's like you must breathe. You must drink the right amount of water. You must get appropriate levels of sleep whenever possible. You must do these things. To me, it's not a matter of balance. It's a matter of they come first. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I love it, what you say. And so when we get our priorities straight, we know that we need to do those things. So what to do? Because there are so many uh, programs out there, supplements out there, you know, magic pills mm -hmm. and everything that they tell that if you eat this or if you drink this, then it will be amazing. So we seem having all this, we seem to have more and more health problems. This is what I observe. The more supplements and magic diets we have, the more health problems we have. So how to actually choose what is good for us? Well, I think the first thing to understand is that food science is one of the most flawed sciences in the world. And there's lots of reasons for this, but the main two are that in a proper study, in a proper, say, experiment, you control everything and you flex only one thing. And you do that for a period of time long enough that you can test the real results. The problem with something like food is long enough means intergenerationally. In other words, you want to have a control group and get them all to eat 99% exactly the same, but then change one thing. And then you want to watch them for their whole life and then see how healthy their kids were. Like food science is a really difficult thing to deal with because nobody controls diet that well. Nobody. So there's too many variables. The second reason that food science is massively flawed is that it's bought and paid for. It's influenced by the industry. So if you want to know why low fat became such a big thing, well, there's a bunch of reasons, including ego-based scientists and unscrupulous oil manufacturers that wanted to start getting us to eat oils that previously were used only for the development of soap and fuel. And they wanted us to eat those things. So they created the low fat movement and they made us angry with saturated fat, which was wrong, but it was profitable for them to do that. So, you know, food science is flawed. And here's one rule to go by. If anybody's theory about food or anybody's theory about nutrition violates evolutionary biology, then it's probably wrong. And at very least, it needs to be re-examined. So if we imagine it another way, let's say, Elena, you got a new pet, an exotic pet, and somebody gave you this pet and you had to take care of it and you had to take care of it. Would you go on the internet and look for research studies and clinical reports on what happened when this pet ate corn? Or like, would you go look at what Harvard Medical School says? Or would you instead tune into National Geographic and watch a 90 minute special on the life of the animal? And you go, oh, look, look, the life of the animal. This is what I should be feeding my animal, right? And so we really should be doing something very similar. And I think that a huge amount can be learned about optimizing our relationship with nutrition and exercise and so forth by looking in two places. We don't have National Geographic following around, you know, we don't have that, but there are two versions we do have. One is archeological record. We know a huge amount about the way our ancestors lived for the last 300,000 years, plus the pre-ancestors before that. We know that, there's not a huge mystery about that. And then on top of that, there are still small pockets of hunter-gatherer communities that while we might not want to romanticize their way of life as the traditional human lifestyle, I think we can very easily make the argument that the way they live is the closest representation we have. And so if we look at those two things, that's like you watching National Geographic to find out what your exotic pet should be eating and how it should be exercising. And that's the way I think we should be looking at it. There is an answer. We actually know what the answer is, but unfortunately the food industry is, it's too profitable. They're doing everything they can to confuse us so that we don't look for the truth. Yes, we can look at hunter-gatherers, but we cannot replicate their way of life. And for example, our listeners, people in business, they have the food that is available in the local store, 
and they have what they need coffee <laughs> to to survive to go through the day this is basically there are the some necessities and priorities and uh, then of course we start thinking about healthy things that we can add to our diets and for example add one apple there is the saying an apple a day keeps the doctor away and we think that okay we have this one apple and we should be fine uh, so and when I went through the wild feet my worldview was reversed and I understood that I need to actually start with the apple and with uh, all the healthy things and then think about the other things so how can we adapt this way of life to our everyday life to our lifestyle well I think one thing we can do is make it a priority when we're children we have no real sense of mortality you know we don't really have any sense that the ride is going to end one day and we feel pretty immortal and we follow our pleasure senses like if something tastes yummy we want to eat it then we move into our 20s and you know we start to begin to realize mortality and we start maybe to start understanding consequence but the trouble for most people is that by the time they get to their 20s they already have very serious food addictions that were created in them by the food industry by their parents and stuff by the time they got to their 20s so even if they do start having an increased sense of awareness. They are so confused about what is or isn't healthy. And they have a bunch of habits and addictions that are going to be really tough to break. So I guess one of the things that I really like to take a look at for people is like, what is the quality of life that you'd like to create? What kind of life would you ultimately want to live? What is the goal here? And, you know, I think longevity is often a goal for people. I'm, I'm not here to live forever, but I, I certainly want to live as long as I can enjoy it, you know, as long as I can enjoy it and be healthy. But then the other side of it is, what if I want to build incredible things in business? What if I want to be a great parent? What if I want to be a great husband or wife? What if I want to be a great friend? Well, one of the challenges is, is that if you are malnourished and you, your metabolism is messed up and you have blood sugar problems and you have mood problems, then it makes it hard to achieve any of those things. It just does. So I think that whatever the reason somebody arrives at, whether it's that they want to be, you know, as healthy as possible, whether they want to have as much energy as possible, whether they're trying to improve their fertility, whether they want to have better performance in their work or their sport or whatever the case might be, what they really have to be taking a look at is my body is the priority. My body is the priority. And so that means that they got to go learn about it. They got to go learn about it because they're not going to learn good stuff about that in school. They're not going to learn good stuff about that in medical school even. They're not going to learn about that when they go study nutrition because frankly, most of our nutrition education has been bought and paid for by the food industry. So what it really means is the individual person needs to really take an interest in their own health. And then, and this is key, is they have to plan for it. You see, the trouble is the most dangerous thing about food these days is convenience. It's that people have gotten lazy and they just eat what's convenient and mostly convenient food in the developed world, mostly convenient food is unbelievably unhealthy. Funny thing is here in the Dominican Republic, convenient food is right now mangoes falling off trees and you know, like the convenient food isn't so, but it still requires work. You got to walk to go get it. You got to climb the tree. If you want to go fishing, it takes effort. Convenience where something comes in a plastic container and it's the right color and it's perfect every single time. That's the problem. And so it's really key to me that we first of all, prioritize our body. And then having prioritized our body, we really make the effort to plan and be ready. You know, for example, if we're going on a long trip, we don't want to trust the airport to feed us. They don't have food at airports. They, they have something else that looks like food. Yes, yes. So you're saying that we have to prioritize and we have to plan. Do you have any tips 
for people who are motivated, but they just don't have time because healthy food, it requires preparation. So you need to cook this meat, you need to chop vegetables, you need to do something with this. If you take a I don't know, frozen pizza, you don't have to do anything. You just take it and eat it. Uh, so do you have any tips or, or how, how do you prepare your food, for example, for a week when you're super busy? What do, what do you do? Well, let's go back to the key item here. The key item is motivation. The key item is that it's important to you. If it became incredibly important to you, you would do it. In other words, if there was no convenient food, if you couldn't just order a pizza, then you would cook, right? But if, it's only because we can have the convenient food that we don't. So that's the first thing to understand. Then the second thing is a matter of perspective. If you wanna watch somebody learn how to cook really quickly, Take them to the doctor and have the doctor tell them they have early stage cancer and they better start eating properly. Suddenly they're willing to cook. Suddenly they're willing to make the preparation and shop at the right part of the store. Suddenly they're willing to. Well, what I would suggest is don't wait until that conversation with the doctor. Get willing to now in a preventative way. And so some of the tips that I would have are, you know, and these tips depend on people's economic positions and what countries they live in and so on. But look, if for somebody who lives in America or Canada, even probably most of Western Europe, I don't know what it would be like in Cyprus. I'm not sure quite so quite so easy, but there are wonderful healthy food delivery options. So if you want to save yourself some time, get food, like good quality food delivered to the house, make it easy. In America, there are options where you can go to say a quite healthy grocery store and they will actually deliver all the healthy stuff to you. You've just saved yourself two hours, which you now can put into the food preparation because the food's coming to you. There are also prepared food companies that have really good quality prepared food. Now, some people don't have that option, maybe economically, or maybe in their country, they don't have it. But if you're in a country that doesn't doesn't have those services, what you quite often have is lower cost uh, workforce. So for example, here in the Dominican Republic, I could very easily have a chef. I could very easily, I happen to like to cook, so I very rarely do that, but I could easily have a chef and make it convenient in another way. And now for a lot of people are thinking, well, I can't afford to have a chef and, and I don't you know, really have the food delivery. Then it's a matter of recognizing that you simply need a new set of skills. And what I mean is that we grow up learning to cook certain things, learning to shop in certain sections, learning to become dependent on certain ingredients, learning certain recipes and so on. That's what we grow up. But for most of us, those skills are leading toward you know, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity, infertility, suffering of all kinds. That's where it's heading. So then we take a look, what are the new skills that I want to learn? And jump in, sign up for cooking classes, healthy cooking classes. There's lots of them. And you know what's really great at a healthy cooking class? You're learning about the ingredients. Like touch your food. Remember that this generation that we're in now, like even three, four generations ago, people had to like grow their food and they had to prepare it for themselves. You know, go back to that a little bit and develop a proper relationship with your food. And by the way, a lot of times people think that when they go on to some kind of diet that they're going to give up flavor and that kind of thing. Absolutely not. There's yummy cooking. About the only time it's hard to do yummy cooking is with low-fat diets. And they're broken. Low-fat diets are ridiculous. But a low-fat diet is tough to cook for flavor because fat is flavor. And then you end up replacing the flavor with sugar and then you end up putting on weight. So that's the one diet program that might be tough to learn to cook for. But in anything else, like for example, in WildFit, there's yummy Awesome, delicious WildFit meals. And for people that are interested in WildFit-like meals, the paleo community is huge. And many of the paleo meals are a match. They're quite closely aligned with a lot of the things that we do at WildFit. There's really good quality food out there. And it just, it's a matter of saying, hey, this is important enough for me to learn it. Yeah. So what would you recommend to avoid? Like what is the 100% no for a person 
who is used to have uh, several coffees per day. And I remember myself when I was working in nine to five job, every morning I would go have a coffee. I would have a snack, which included sugar, <laughs> you know, that, that gave yeah. energy and a boost of energy to wake up to start working. And uh, this uh, was you know, everyday thing. So what would you recommend to start with? What to avoid to start changing this lifestyle? I would actually recommend not doing that. I, I would actually recommend prioritizing again differently. One of the principles in WildFit is, is that your health is far more impacted by you getting enough of the good stuff than it is by you removing the bad stuff. If you think about it another way, the average person in the Western world is currently today overfed energy and underfed nutrients. So they're putting on weight and they're malnourished and it's a horrible disaster. That's right there is at the core of just about every health problem we're having. Now, if you take that person and get them to remove the bad stuff, now you've removed the bad stuff, but they're still malnourished, which means they're going to eat the bad stuff again. It's just the way it is. They're going to binge. They're going to, I'll stop eating it. I'll stop eating it. And then boom, they're eating it again. And the reason is, is that they're malnourished in the first place. So one of the core principles of WildFit is to first focus on getting your needs met and keep eating the junk if you want. You know, your body has a huge capacity for cleansing and repair when its needs are getting met. And so if somebody came along and go, Eric, you're going to make me give up coffee and chocolate and ice cream or something. No, I'm, I'm going to ask you to have a healthier relationship with those things. But step one, I want to say, let's get more good stuff in. And of course, as you know, having done WildFit, the more good stuff you put in, the less craving you have for the bad stuff anyway. Yes, absolutely. So you recommend to start eating more fruits, vegetables. What else should we add to our not healthy diet? <laughs> well, I think what we should look at is, as I said, imagine we're watching National Geographic and National Geographic is watching some wild humans 100,000 years ago or 30,000 years ago, or frankly, some of the hunter-gatherer tribes that are in the world today. What we'll find is that their diet consists largely of fresh, naturally raised meats, fishes, eggs, poultry, seasonally available vegetables and root vegetables and seasonally available fruits. And, you know, maybe occasionally nuts and seeds from time to time, but again, seasonally, that's it in water, you know, and, and air and, and, and movement. I mean, that's it. That's, that's where it's at. Now, I know some people are going to be like, well, I want to be a vegetarian. That's another conversation for another day. You, you can certainly make that choice if you want. But the important thing to remember is why do we need to eat certain things. So for example, in the case of eating meat, there's some very specific things that we that we need from that. And if we're going to choose not to eat them, then we have to find another way to get them. And that's fine. We can try that too. But for somebody who isn't focused on vegetarianism, then yeah, increasing your intake of good, healthy, well-raised animal products like meat, fish, eggs, and poultry, fantastic. Adding in seasonally available vegetables and fruit when they're available and not binging on them and not eating them for too long. Like any vegetable eaten for too long is eventually going to cause problems for people because the vegetables are, as much as they may have good things in them, they also have plant defense mechanisms in them. So if you eat one vegetable for longer than nature would have permitted, you may well be building up various types of uh, plant toxins and stuff. So that's, you know, we want to have this like cycle of seasonality. If you ate fruit all the time, then you would, your pancreas would be overworked continuously. Guess what? Nature took care of that. It only made fruit available for a few weeks at a time. So I think that it's a combination of putting those good things in and also understanding that our species evolved not only to survive seasonal fluctuation, but to utilize each season for a specific purpose. Mm. And what about uh, supplements and uh, protein, for example, that is recommended by many dietitians? 
So do you recommend adding those things because they are not natural and uh, hunter-gatherers did not have access to those, but now we have. So maybe we can just have those vitamins and, uh, you know, proceed with our unhealthy diet. My approach to supplements is, first of all, understanding what the word supplement means. So supplement means in addition to, extra. It means in addition to or extra. And unfortunately, for a great many people, the word supplement is used incorrectly. They use it in replacement of. So I don't have to eat that because I'm eating this supplement. They use it the wrong way. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, is that I'm generally not a fan of extracted ingredients. So oils and vitamins and minerals that were extracted from things because I feel as though what you're then doing is saying, well, I just want to listen to one note out of what otherwise would be a very beautiful song. Your body needs the whole song to appreciate that note properly. And I think that that's very true. There are certain vitamins, for example, that are fat soluble. And so they come in things that have fat in them. So when you eat them, you're able to digest that vitamin better. Taking the vitamin by itself, you might not be getting nearly the benefit. So again, there's that issue generally with extracts that we ate things traditionally in whole food, unadulterated whole food sources. And that was a symphony and it was a symphony with specific ratios we ate this much of this and because the ingredients were in that thing. Now we take one ingredient out and eat that by itself. I'm not a big fan of that idea. I'm not saying never. I'm just saying, generally speaking, no. And then here's the full-on wild fit approach to supplementation. Step one, do the very best you can through natural foods to achieve your nutritional needs. Step one. Step two, where you identify a measured deficiency, not a marketing-induced fear-based deficiency, but an actual measured deficiency. Then you identify natural life, natural behavioral or natural food sources for solving that. As an example, somebody's done step one and then they find that they're low on vitamin D. Well, then what they should do is go spend more time in the sun, right? Step two is to find another way, another natural way you know, to boost up that deficiency. Then after that, if there's still a measured deficiency, then somebody might want to seek out the best quality supplement that they can get. What about protein? Because I know that many people in business, they kind of do this protein shakes, also treat it like a meal, basically. You know, uh, most of these protein shakes are vastly processed foods and they contain all kinds of other fillers and ingredients. And like a lot of them are based on whey protein, which is by far and away, not the best protein for humans to be eating. If you really want to get good quality protein, then you get good quality protein. There's an important thing to remember about protein. It's not protein that you need. It's amino acids. And this is a very important thing because you see, you know, lots of languages are like this, but we tend to use one word to describe a great many things. For example, is fat good or bad? Yes, fat is good or bad. There, there are good fats and there are not so good fats. No question about that. Is air good or bad? Yeah, depends on how much oxygen is in. You don't actually need to breathe air. You need to breathe oxygen, not too much, right? So it's kind of like that. So with protein, it's not really protein you're looking for. It's amino acids. And there are, I, I think if I remember correctly, there's 20, 11 of them we can manufacture in our bodies, assuming we're well-nourished and we're healthy. But the other nine, we can't make them. And so we need to ingest them. And so we understand what they are. Maybe the best metaphor for amino acids is that they are like Lego pieces. So there's 20 Lego pieces. And in order to build proteins, and proteins are large complex molecules that serve a variety of purposes in the body. Everything from antibodies, which are proteins, like a big topic these days, right? Antibodies are proteins, but also insulin is a protein. So your body wants to manufacture these things and it needs all the Lego pieces. If it's missing some of the Lego pieces, it can't build some of the things. 
I frankly suspect that we're going to find later that in as much as vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc and all these things have had an impact on COVID outcomes, I think we're going to find later that one of the issues is, is that people who had a much harder time fighting COVID were actually not low on protein itself, but low on particular amino acids potentially, because it's what made it difficult for them to produce their own uh, antibodies. It's a theory. I don't have any science for you on that, but it just makes sense to me. The larger issue here is that, you know, a lot of these protein shakes, especially when they're made from plant proteins, they don't have all the amino acids in them. They claim to be protein. Well, they're incomplete proteins. So when humans want to get all of the amino acids, they either have to figure out a supplement regime if they want to be vegetarian, for example, or they get good quality, whole entire proteins, all the amino acids by eating meat, fish, poultry, eggs, and of course, ethically raised and the best possibly, you know, most naturally raised versions of those things that they can get. Yeah, yeah. So what else do you recommend to do to improve our immunity in terms of what can we do if we don't have much time, if we don't have time for, you know, long walks or jogging every day, or, you know, long hours of sleep. So what can we do to boost our immunity? So it's important that we talk a little bit about immunity properly. In February last year, when the whole pandemic thing started, maybe early March, I released a video talking about how to boost your immunity. And I had all these people attacking me saying, you can't boost your immunity. And you know, you wouldn't even want to boost your immunity and what have you. So let's just talk a little bit about that. First of all, I'm, I'm no immunologist. I'm just a guy curious. And I've been curious about the immune system for 30 years. So I'm going to describe it the way I believe it to be. There are two components, two primary components to our immune system, our innate immune system and our acquired immune system. The innate immune system is the part that's there protecting you and defending you from anything that it needs to, including injury. So you get a cut, your immune system gets in there and tries to, you know, prevent you from bleeding too much and heal the cut and so forth. And, you know, you get an infection, your immune system is fighting and that's your innate immune system. Then you have the acquired immune system. And this is where your body has encountered some kind of pathogen and your body learns how to decode that pathogen. In other words, it learns how to create the right antibodies for that pathogen. The good news is, is that once it's done that, it saves the blueprint. And that way, even after the antibodies are gone from you, your body still knows how to make them, knows how to do that. So if you encounter that same pathogen again, your body will make more. That's your acquired or learned immune system. Now, in order for your immune system to work properly, you have to make sure the machine is in good shape. You got to take care of the body's needs. Now, some people are out there saying, well, you wouldn't want to boost your immunity or, and other people are saying you can't to boost your immunity. Well, I got into a bit of a debate online with this guy saying you can't boost your immunity. And I said, okay, can you weaken it? And he goes, what do you mean? And I go, well, if I drink a lot of alcohol, I eat too much sugar, I smoke cigarettes, I don't do a lot of exercise, will my immune system get weaker? And he goes, yes. And I said, then could I boost it? And he's like, okay, you win. Because you see, if your immune system is optimal, no, you can't boost it. It's doing what it's meant to do. But for the vast majority of people, it's not running that way. For the vast majority of people, their immune system is out of whack because their diet, their lack of exercise, whatever. So yes, they can strengthen their immune system. And so in order to do that, in fact, on Mindvalley, my publisher, I've released a program called the Immunity Blueprint. And the Immunity Blueprint is a 30-day program. I think it's a 28-day program on how to strengthen your immunity. But I can give you the core crux of it now. Take care of the body, make sure its needs are getting met. What are the needs? Well, roughly in order of priority, air. But of course, it's not air, it's oxygen, not too much, not too little, the right oxygen mix, and as fresh as possible. 
not trapped indoors all the time, going outside and breathing good stuff. And if you're outside in a big city, then you go out into the forest and breathe the good stuff as often as possible. Then water, we got to stay hydrated, right? We can live only minutes without air. We can live hours without water. We can live weeks without food. It's low on the priority list. We first want to make sure that we're getting good air. We're getting good water. We have to make sure we're getting good sleep. We have to make sure that our metabolism is running well, that we have metabolic health. And what I mean by metabolic health is that we are not running on sugar all the time. That's not good for immune function. And we want to make sure we're getting enough sunlight and that we're moving our body. A very important part of the immune system is the lymphatic system. And the lymphatic system does not have a pump. You know, your cardiovascular system has a heart and it has a diaphragm to pump air in and out and to pump blood around, right? It has a pump. That's because pumping blood and oxygen around the system is urgent and important. But lymphatic system, which, you know, its only job is just cleaning you, you know, it's not urgent, but it's important. Like it's very, very important, but it's not urgent. So we never evolved a pump for it because frankly, life forced us to move around enough. Life forced us to move around enough that we moved the lymph. But now we sit in front of TVs and screens and Zoom meetings and we don't move. And so we aren't moving our lymph enough. And so it's really important that we move and we flex our muscles and we stretch and we create flexibility and so forth. And then lastly, very important to immune function is physical touch being around other people, hugs, holding hands, cuddling, all of those things are really, really positive and really powerful for supporting immune function. Yeah, thank you for this immunity boot camp. <laughs> In a very few sentences, you covered all the basics that uh, we need. And uh, yeah, so we don't have much time, but still we can take care of those basics. And I think that we just need to prioritize. So to sum up our interview, I wanted to ask you what would be the main tips for business people, main recommendations for business people, entrepreneurs who don't have time for anything for, you know, their their private lives and they just have five minutes in between the meetings to take a glass of water and right now when we moved online I know that it became even worse you know all those online meetings non-stop what would you recommend to do to take care of their health what to start with Let's start with business. If somebody is in business and they don't have any time then they're doing business badly. And if they lose time, the bigger their business gets, the less time they have, then they're definitely doing it badly. What business and entrepreneurship is supposed to be is the ultimate expression of personal freedom, the ability to leverage your time for the highest degree of profitability to give you as much financial and time freedom as you can have to live the life you want and spend time with your family and take care of your health. That's what business is supposed to be. Now, for a lot of people, it doesn't work that way. They feel like they have to work really hard all the time. And look, Elena, let me ask you, have you, ever, have you ever found, let's say you're going on a vacation and you're leaving on Saturday. Have you ever found that the Friday before the vacation, you can do like a week's worth of work? <laughs> yeah, usually it happens like this. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reason is, is that we work at different levels of pace. And in other words, we will allow a project to take up the available time. And so you can change the available time and still get the project done. And that's why the day before people go on vacation, they can get so much done because they've compressed it. They go, well, I have to get a week's worth of work done in eight hours, right? And then they do. And then you think to yourself, holy crap, how successful would they be if they could work at that pace all the time. Well, the truth is they can, and the most successful people in the world do, but they don't do it for 10, 12 hours a day. It's funny because I used to be like that. I frequently work 10, 12 hours a day. I'd be working until two or three in the morning sometimes and what have you. What's crazy is, is that when I really began to understand this, I began to understand that I can be incredibly efficient in an hour, as long as I think I only have that hour. But if I think I've got five hours, then I can do the same one hour project for five hours. So here's an exercise that we do at businessfreedom.com. It is called Freedom Fridays. 
And the way Freedom Fridays works is that it's an eight-week challenge. Everybody should try it. Here it is. Week one, you stop working on Friday at 4 p.m. You just stop. You okay. stop. <laughs> you, you arrive at work on Friday knowing you only have seven hours. That's it. Week two, you stop at three. Week three, you stop at two. And on week nine, you don't work on Fridays. Now, when I Impossible. say you don't work on Fridays, it's not that you don't work. It's that you don't accept meetings. You don't accept projects. You don't accept anything being directed at you. So you only on Fridays do what you want to do. And if that's work, you don't do it because you have to. You don't do it because there's a deadline. If it's something fun, you do it. Your Freedom Fridays are you're only allowed to do things that are fun and enjoyable on Fridays. But you start off, the cutoff is at four o'clock. So the last hour of Friday, you either take it off or you work on fun. And then over eight weeks, you cut all those hours away and pretty soon you have Freedom Fridays. And what that will demonstrate to most people is that they can get a week's worth of work done in four days. And then they have Fridays to add value, to grow, to get bigger. And if that's true, then wait a second. Now here's the next principle. I go to the gym every morning. I go every single morning. I like it. I know a lot of people go, oh man, I want to get the shortest possible workout. Nope. I want to go to the gym. I work out for 45 minutes. I pound it hard. And you know what's really crazy? My days are way more productive. And it's funny because years ago, I'd be like, oh, I can't go to the gym. I have too much to do. I can't go to the gym. I, I got too much to do. You know what? Because I go to the gym, I'm able to do so much more. Yeah, it gives us so much uh, energy. I also did today sun salutations today in the morning and I have a lot of energy to go through the day. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we just need to find time. We need to prioritize and that's it. Thank you so much for all your tips and for your inspiration. I'm sure that our listeners got a lot out of it. So if our listeners want to go through your wild fit program or through your immunity program, where can they find you? If they want to go through the immunity program, they should go to mindvalley.com and look for the immunity blueprint. They can find that at mindvalley.com. And then wild fit, if they want to go through our 14 day program, with WildFit, the best thing to do there is to go to getwildfit.com. And there's a 14-day reset program that you can do there. It is an introduction to our 90-day program, but you can just do the first 14 days to see that it's working for you because it will. And that will really, like the core idea there is that the diet industry doesn't work because it breaks a bunch of psychological rules. Here's one example. The minute you're told you can't eat this anymore, then you get dopamine for eating it. You get a reward for being a rebellion. Immediately, the diet industry is broken. So in the WildFit 14-day program, as you know, that first two weeks is all about learning about your psychology with food and breaking the hypnosis or breaking the conditioning that was given to us by our parents in the food industry. So getwildfit.com is a great place to start there. Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot for this resource. I will post it under our episode so that our listeners can immediately log in and jump into your program. Thank you Sounds very good. much, Eric, for being on Ideas and Leaders podcast. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for everything what you're doing. Thanks for having me. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Ideas and Leaders podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know that you listened by tagging me in your LinkedIn profile and using a hashtag ideas and leaders. See you in the next episode.